happy to be with you today. Um, we just sang about Jesus, Jesus' return, and and the scripture I've chosen today has to do with that great gathering when Jesus comes back and gathers his people to himself. Um, this ser- sermon is kind of a, a sequel to the one I preached here. I think it was a couple Sundays ago, the morning that, that Forrest was here. And uh, so that morning I preached from first, uh, Second Thessalonians 1, and now I'm this morning... Uh, preaching from Second Thessalonians two and three, which is a lot of verses, and but you're an exceptional audience, so we'll <laughs> we'll uh, try that. I'm just picking the high points out of of, of the last two chapters in Second Thessalonians. Especially glad to see my childhood friend Jerry back here. <laughs> from, uh, Grew up together. Always good to see him. Uh, I've entitled this sermon, We'll Work Till Jesus Comes. And uh, maybe the theme verse would be uh, verse 17 in chapter 2. Verse 16 says that the Lord Jesus loves us and God the Father loves us and uh, gives us comfort and hope through His grace. Then verse 17, Comfort your hearts and establish you. May may Jesus Christ and God the Father who love us comfort your hearts and establish you or or strengthen you in your inner person and give give you the inner strength uh, to... Speak out good words and do good works. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I'll begin with a story. It's just a fictional story. There were there were two children, and I'll call them young teenagers. I'll call them Sally and Sam, whose parents had gone to the city shopping for the day. And the parents left them at home with a list of jobs to do, uh, mostly cleaning jobs. The day was young, but the children were were already uh, anticipating their parents' return because just because they loved their parents and liked to have them coming home, but also because often when they went to town, they would bring back some surprises and treats. Industrious Sally soon busied herself with her work list, but Sam was more of a slow starter. He dilly-dallied and played and dreamed about the treats, and he didn't make very much progress on his list. Uh, He and Sally speculated on what dad and mom might bring home. Uh, Sally's urging helped Sam to do a few of his jobs, but then after lunch, Sam was bored with the household thing, so he slipped out through the picket fence gate and sat on the bench by the street, watching so much more interesting out there. He was watching the cars go by, and the neighbors, this was on a Saturday, and the neighbors were doing their yard work. And uh, there was his friend Chester, 
digging dandelions from their, their lawn. So Sam went over to help. Uh, but they were soon at play and uh, with bikes and a game of catch until there was a stern voice from the window that said, Chester, have you finished pulling weeds yet? And so Sam slumped back across the street and sat on the bench again and fell asleep and then later was startled awake because it was getting late and he rushed back through the gate uh, was going to do the impossible task of finishing his job before mom and dad came home only to hear the friendly blast of his dad's horn as they drove in from the street. Well, the Christians at Thessalonica were anticipating Jesus coming back, and uh, they were they were ex- experiencing a lot of hardships in their lives. They were being persecuted for their faith, and to them it seemed like they were surely in the very last days uh, until Jesus would come back. And adding to their confusion, well, ev- evidently. Someone had sent a forged letter from, suppose, I mean, like it was from Paul, saying that that either Jesus had come back, or they certainly were in the very last days of his before his coming. And so this was unsettling to them, and a few of them just had stopped their normal activities and stopped their jobs, and. Uh, <laughs> And then because of their idleness, they were making some trouble. And so Paul speaks to this confusion and this disruption in their church. So let's see what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to them and what the Lord wants to speak to us from these uh, chapters this morning. I'll mention a few high points from that other, from chapter 1 which we looked at a few Sundays ago, one was that Paul had had commended, praised the Thessalonian Christians because of their faith, because they they rapidly had grown in their faith and in their love for one another. There it says that each one loved everyone else and their perseverance in that they were continuing to follow in Christ in in spite of their, their hardships. And he wrote, which verse 5 of chapter 1, a very interesting verse, that their growth in, in Christian character proves that God was good and right in sending them through persecution. And also in chapter 1 it says that God uh, will be right and just in punishing the, the, the people that were persecuting them. And the punishment would be that when Jesus comes back, he would banish them from his, from God's presence and from God's glory. And it'll be a great tragedy when, when God will need to uh, send some away from himself. And Paul comforted the suffering Christians with the truth that there, that there was a wonderful rest coming to them when Jesus would return and all the tensions of living in a sinful world when things are not right, where things are not right and well, uh, Jesus will make everything right and they will experience a wonderful rest. 
And chapter 1 also says that Christians, which these other chapters also talk about glorifications, glorification with Jesus, that chapter 1 says that Christians will be glorified with Jesus when he comes back in his splendor. Christians will have a, a, a glorified body like Jesus' glorified body and experience his glory in that way. But this glorification also starts in this life in that uh, God is God is working, and He certainly did in the, in the lives of these suffering Christians. He was working to make them to be like Jesus in their character, and uh, they were growing in their love for God and for each other, in their faith and in their perseverance, continuing continue to follow following Christ. Now let me read two chapters, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3. We'll work till Jesus comes. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming, or in light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together with him, that you should not be soon shaken in mind or trouble, neither by spirit nor word, nor by letter as from us. There's, there's the allusion to that possibly a forged letter, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall come shall not come except there come first coming falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now these next verses talk about the Antichrist, here it calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the wicked one, a little bit later. And that, that'll be one of the signs that Jesus is just about to come. And it also talks about something or someone that is restraining the wicked one from, from revealing himself. And I'm, I don't have time, and I'm not able to explain what, what, who the restrainer is. But these next verses are talking about the Antichrist. So I'll uh, let me start at verse 3 again. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or, or that is worshipped, so that he as, a, as, as God sitteth on the temple of God, in the temple of God, Showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was with you, I told you these things? I, I kind of wish we knew what all Paul had told them in his preaching. Verse 6. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that holy one be, that wicked one, excuse me, then shall that wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Did you, did you notice the power of Jesus Christ that this, this Antichrist, the wicked one, is going to be a powerful figure who is, who is, uh, is a servant of Satan? But he'll be he'll be consumed by the the spirit of Christ's mouth, or maybe the words of his mouth, and he'll be destroyed by the brightness of Jesus' coming. So we don't need to be 
real worried about the Antichrist either because our Jesus is, is, uh, will destroy him much more powerful than him. Even him who is coming after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, wherewith he called you by our gospel to obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, these are beautiful verses. I just noticed it just said that God has loved us, chosen us, uh, called us. Uh, and now, now it says again, talks again about Jesus' love. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every word and work. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of Lord, the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you, strengthen you, and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that you will both do and will to do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. That be Christ's return. And now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother who walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how, we ought, how ye ought to follow us for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and tra- travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we didn't have the power or the right to to ask for their uh, for food and so on. Not because we have not the power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if a man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing." If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace, give the Lord of peace himself, give you peace always, by all means.
The Lord be with you. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token, my token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, we'll work till Jesus comes. And let's never forget that Jesus is coming again. This should be in the... Shouldn't it be in the forefront of our thinking and in the back of our minds all the time that Jesus is coming again? Merle, Merle asked us in Sunday school last Sunday, us men, uh, how, how often do you, you fellows think about Jesus coming again? And I knew I was going to make a statement like this that we should be thinking about him most all the time. And uh, then I was puzzling, didn't answer, puzzling if I could say, knew I could say, Occasionally, I wasn't sure if I could say frequently. But uh, someone said then that, that certainly his, his, the, the truth of Jesus' coming should be uh, at, at least a subconscious uh, part of our thinking all the time. And here it says, verse 1, that there will be a great gathering together when Jesus returns uh, there will be this great gathering. There will be a trumpet call of God. This, this is from 1 Thessalonians. There will be a trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ. First, first Jesus will come from heaven and give a loud command. There will be a trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first, and those that are still alive will be caught up together with Jesus and uh, the other saints uh, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and there will be with the Lord and all of the other saints forever. Jesus is returning. There's going to be a great gathering of all the saints and we'll be together with Jesus forever. I say hallelujah. Jesus is coming again and we'll gather, gather Christians together. But he hasn't come yet. And in this scripture, uh, the, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Thessalonian Christians um, that Jesus hadn't come. In fact, they were not yet in the very final days before he's coming. Now here we are 2,000 years later, and we see a falling away, I believe, like it says in it, here, beginning in verse 3, it gives some signs that there will be a great falling away, and we, we see a falling away. I've heard, heard uh, just recently that, that in Christian churches, young people are, are leaving the faith of their parents uh, in alarming numbers. And um, so we may be seeing this falling away. We've not yet seen the revealing of the Antichrist. This wicked one, this lawless one, the Antichrist, which Jesus, Paul, John, Daniel, and others all spoke about in the Bible, hasn't yet been revealed. Now, there's been much speculation about when this will be and who it will be, and uh, we just don't know yet. Are we in the very, very final days of 
before Jesus' coming? I don't know. I think if we were in a country where there and there are places like this in the world that they're experiencing much trouble and much persecution for their faith, and I expect we would we would say yes, we're in the very final days, and we may be. So we shouldn't criticize the Thessalonians very much for for. Uh, expecting that Jesus was just about to return. Some of them, maybe in, in enthusiasm, maybe some of them were just lazy. Some of them were just closing up shop and just waiting around <laughs> till Jesus came back. But the teaching here in verse 2 and following is that we don't need to be shaken and troubled Don't be like a ship tossed at sea. Don't be alarmed by letters or books or supposedly prophetic speakings that are written about Christ's coming or is almost to come. And you've, I remember this was in the late 80s. The book book title was something about uh, something like 101 Reasons Jesus Will Turn in 1988. Anybody remember a book like that? I don't even know if I have the proper title. And 88 reasons? <laughs> okay. And uh, and I remember we were actually in Canada at that time, and Wayne Schrock had read the book and said it was quite a scholarly book, kind of convincing, but he didn't, he didn't put much stock in it because the man was trying to make an attempt at placing a date on something that God said you couldn't. And 1988 passed without Jesus coming. So let's not be troubled, uh, shaken by any book or any letter or any prophecy about Jesus coming. Let's just stand firm on what we know in the Bible about Jesus coming. And let's not be afraid of the prophetic scriptures, but familiarize ourselves with them uh, so that we'll be um, able to recognize the events as they unfold. So there will be a great falling away. We may be seeing that great falling away right now. Another sign was that the man of sin, the son of perdition, verse eight, and the called in verse eight and called the wicked one, will be revealed, declaring himself to be God and demanding to be worshipped. Again, I say we don't need to be worried about that lawless, wicked one, because when Jesus returns, he'll be overthrown by the breath of Jesus' mouth and he'll be destroyed by the splendor of Jesus' coming. Though that final, infamous Antichrist will be a servant and tool of Satan, uh, we don't need to be troubled about him. Though he hasn't been revealed, uh, Satan is at work today. Verse 7 says that that the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And IV says it this way, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. 
So we face an enemy who's out to destroy us and out to wanting to destroy our faith, so we'll be destroyed. And our only hope for not being swept away uh, in unbelief is that we love the truth. And these next verses describe how that there, there, there are some. Verse 10, because not, they receive not the love of the truth, uh, they won't be saved. And verse 12, they will be damned because they believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And verse, verse 11 is a very startling verse. It says that because of this not loving the truth and having pleasure in un unrighteousness, that God himself will send these people a strong delusion. Now, I, I'm not able to explain how God is going to uh, send a strong delusion on people. But this I know for sure, that, that we must be people that love the truth and love righteousness, that is, what is right and, how to li and living right, so that we won't be candidates for deception and this strong delusion. Verse 9 to 12, describe those who are perishing as, being, being, uh, as perishing because they refuse to love the truth, and God will send them a powerful delusion. Very important for us that we love the truth, that we don't harbor sin in our lives, we don't enjoy sin, not like these who had pleasure in unrighteousness, but love the truth and want to do what's right and just reaching out for the grace of God to live a life that pleases God according to truth. It's very important we love the truth. It's very important we know the truth of the Bible. It's very important we obey the truth of the Bible and love living right. Now, verse 13, it it doesn't need to be our lot to be uh, perishing and damned. Uh, we can be a part of these what these verses describe. Verse 13 says that you, brethren, are beloved by God. How does it say it here? Um, we give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved of the God. Brethren beloved of God, God loves us uh, because God hath from the beginning chosen you. God has chosen us uh, to salvation. Now, I used to I used to worry if I was really when I think about predestination and things like that. I worry that I was chosen if I was chosen of God or not. But but if you've if you've been called to God and you if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be assured that you you were chosen of God from the beginning, loved of God, chosen of God through the sanctification of the Spirit. And there it says, because of your belief in truth, verse fourteen says, you've been called in the gospel. You've obtained to the obtaining of the glory of. Christ, we've talked about that. This glory of Christ is a present uh, work of glorification in our lives where God is making us to be like Jesus in his in character and, and, and in the way we live. And a future uh, in the future then we will be glorified and that we'll have glorified bodies like Jesus does. 
love of God, chosen of God, called of God, uh, glorified with Jesus. Therefore, brethren, in light of these things, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle. Now these traditions for the Thessalonians meant the things that Paul spoke to them in his preaching and in what he wrote to them in his letters. For us it means the teaching of the New Testament. Those are the things we stand on. Then the beautiful verses 16 and 17, our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God and God our Father, both who love us uh, and gives us consolation, hope, and comfort in his grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you or strengthen you in the inner person so that your life will be a life of good words and good works. <coughs> We'll work till Jesus comes. God loves us. He's chosen us. He's sanctified us. He's given us his grace and comfort and hope. And uh, he, he will give us inner strength to live a life filled with good words and good works till he comes. Well, we have chapter 3 yet, and I'll, I'll just speak briefly about chapter 3. I'll speak about three of the works, the work of prayer in this chapter, things, things God wants us to do until he, uh, Jesus comes, the work of prayer, the work of evangelism, the work of breadwinning work, and uh, I'm not sure if I'll have time to talk about the work of reconciliation. In the early verses of chapter 3, Paul says, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course or, or that the word of the Lord will grow rapidly and that it will be glorified, meaning that it will be honored, even as it was with the Thessalonian Christians. Famous, effective, fruitful Paul was humble enough to ask for prayer and he, he realized, realized he was completely dependent on God in his ministry. And he called them... Uh, for, pray, uh, for prayer for himself and for the spread of the gospel. Now, for us, that's a, a major part of our work as Christian is to Christians is to pray. And here it's it's praying for uh, the spread of the gospel and for missionaries and evangelists. So we should pray for foreign missionaries and for their protection. Here it says uh, for deliverance. Pray for the evangelists. Pray for the your preacher. Pray, pray for preachers. Pray for your preachers in this church. Pray for the teachers, Sunday school teachers, other teaching occasions. Pray for them. Pray for the mothers and fathers, especially mothers and fathers, for as they teach the Word of God by their life's example and by the Bible stories, um, the Word of God. Locally, we can pray for our Sunday school teachers and pray for those who have the topics and those who teach boys and girls clubs. Pray for the 
the winter Bible schools where our youth go and pray for the Sunday school, te- uh, the Bible school teachers and summer Bible school. And we could pray that the, the Word of God will have free course, that is, the Word of God will spread rapidly and that it will be honored. We could pray for Eli preaching today and, and, and that funeral and pray for him as he preaches, comes to preach for us next weekend. We'll work till Jesus comes. We'll be praying uh, for the missionaries. And we will be missionaries too. We all know we should be missionaries. When we pray for the rapid spread of the Word of God and that the Word of God will be honored, we should be a part of the answer to that prayer. Some of missionary work is done by speaking the gospel. Some of our evangelism is done by affirming the gospel by the way we live. I found, I've thought a lot about relationships. Someone asked in Sunday school this morning about being fishers of men, and I think I've found that in my life and the relationship that I have that it's pretty important early in a friendship to, to speak about Christ in some way so that people will know you're a Christian. And then... And then, as the foundation of that friendship grows and you, you live a life of integrity, integrity for your friend, then, then the opportunity will come in a natural way to, to speak about Christ and about faith and about truth. But we're all missionaries. And we, we should be missionaries by speaking about Christ and the gospel and, and by affirming the gospel by the way we live. Here's some thoughts on evangelism. This, this would be affirming the gospel from Titus 2. The teaching is, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live so that, so that they will teach the younger women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled and pure. Young, young women, you're, you're missionaries. Younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to your your husbands so, so that no one will malign or speak bad about the Word of God. Older women and younger women are missionaries by the way they live. We're talking about... Uh, uh, affirming the gospel and the praying that the gospel will rapidly grow and be honored. The word of God will be honored. Now, young men, be self-controlled, showing integrity, serious-minded, sound, uh, having soundness of speech, so that those who oppose the gospel will have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves or employees for us... Uh, be subject to your masters, please them, don't talk back or steal, or, and be fully trustworthy so that in every way you will, make, you will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Man, as we go out to work, and some of you ladies work out the, outside the home some, is that uh, we should live in a way respectful to our employers, trustworthy, and so on, so that we make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Here's one from, this might have been from Philippians, conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
I'll add a few statements of my own that I'm sure are true. Employers, be fair and honest and considerate so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be enhanced. Children, Children, obey and respect your parents. Be kind and unselfish so that the word of God will be honored. Mothers, be kind and patient and calm and cheerful and firm so that the children will come to love the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus himself. Husbands, be faithful and loving and attentive to your wives to show them in the world the goodness of the truth of the gospel. Fathers, be kind and gentle, not harsh, so that your children will not be angry against their heavenly Father and reject his word. Sunday school teachers, uh, study eagerly and diligently until you have the conviction to teach your students the Word of God so that they'll be, the Word of God will work, uh, have free course in their lives. We'll be, we'll work as missionaries in all responsibilities of life until Jesus comes back again. So we have, a, we have a great work of praying and advancing and enhancing the Word of God until Jesus comes back. Now the last job I'll, that I'll talk about from this scripture that's given us is just that, our jobs. The work that is ours uh, to do to earn our own bread for ourselves and our families and also to care for those that are in need. And I said earlier, some of the Thessalonians, in their, enthousi- in their enthusiasm or in their laziness, had stopped working and were just waiting. And they had time on their hands. Some of them were becoming disorderly and uh, getting into trouble, maybe interfering in other people's affairs because of their idleness. And they are commanded. These commands are interesting. Verse 6 <laughs> Uh, no, the first one I'm going to talk about is verse 12, that they are commanded and exhorted by Jesus Christ to quietly go to work and earn their own bread. And uh, Paul says here that the person that doesn't work is not willing to work, should not be given, given food, let hunger motivate him to go to work. His other command is, written in a similar way, verse 6, We command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that if there is a person who is disorderly, then you have to withdraw yourself from them. On down later it says, so they'll be ashamed. So there is a, this would be a work of reconciliation, which I don't have time to talk about this morning, is that if there is a person that is straight, and he's, he's not following Paul says here's the, the tr- tradition that he gave, which means the teaching of the Word of God, then uh, Christians should withdraw themselves a bit. But he says, uh, verse 15, don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So there's a, there's a work of reconciliation that is ours to do until Jesus comes. Now Paul gave... Uh, the Thessalonians and us, a good example about working. He says that he worked night and day. Paul didn't have an entitlement mentality that he deserved to be fed because he was the preacher. He, he worked day and night so that no one could accuse him of 
of padding his pockets or being lazy. He did it to be an example for them. He was not afraid of hard work. He worked day and night so that he would be a burden to no one and so that he would be an example to everyone, so that he would enhance the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that the word of God would be advanced rapidly by his, his life's testimony, and so that the word of God would not be hindered in any way, rather that it would be honored. Now work is planned by God. Work is ordained by God from the very beginning. Adam, God gave Adam work to do. It's approved by God. Here's a quote from the pulpit commentary, which I thought was really good. True religion honors earthly labor. Christianity is not designed to draw a man out of the world or to cause him to neglect his earthly duties, nor to make him idle, but to consecrate and sanctify his worldly employment, to cause him to perform them with religious spirit, and to look to God as his chief master. End of quote. Paul was a tent maker. Jesus was a carpenter more years than he was in full-time ministry, probably. And I would like to say to uh, wives and children this morning, if you have a husband and fa- or a father who works hard and bring ho- brings home his pay to his family and spends very little on himself, thank God for that man. Respect him and love him and encourage him. If he's, a, if he's an office worker or a business, business owner or a garbage collector or manager or even a farmer, Respect him and love him and encourage him in his work. You sisters have your work, too. And uh, your work is a great opportunity and in your homes and if you work other, other places to honor God and uh, your life's testimony uh, can be, be a life of good words, good works that will advance the gospel so that the gospel, the truth, the word of God will have free course, spread rapidly and be honored. Must close. I have a, I have a full summary close that I'll not, uh, summary page that I'll not, uh, I'll not do the summary. Just want to encourage us that God, uh, Jesus, is coming back. And there's going to be a great gathering of, of uh, the saints to, to himself, to him. Uh, we're, we're greatly privileged to be loved by Jesus Christ and by our Heavenly Father. And uh, in light of all these things, let's work with joy until Jesus comes back. Let's have a closing song, and then I believe Leon will close the meeting.